I got dinner with the in-laws tonight, Tim. I haven't seen them in like two years. Wasn't long enough. What? <laughs> are they? Uh, are they the worst? No, it's fine. I love them. I love. I love everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for September 2022. I am your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined once again by everyone's favorite furry panda, Tim Nelson. Oh, furry red panda bear, graying red panda. Yeah, yeah, I like it, man. I, I embrace that stuff. I'm not afraid of it. I like being known as a furry big guy that's okay but not necessarily a furry but like a furry big guy yeah because right. i don't well i mean you have beard and hair you're right exactly i am a furry person yes it's yes. true in case <laughs> you're uh, in case our listeners want to you know hear about my personal appearance <laughs> i got a lot of hair <laughs> yes so how you doing man everyone's good you uh kids are back in school right you got an empty house again it's great it's so quiet right now no kids to like you know, thunk around and like, oh, dad, blah, 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 blah. no tattletailing. It's it's great. Oh, and then, the tattletailing. Uh, yes. I know. So it's been fun, but then I've been building a tree house for my kids. So oh, wow. That's my thing I've been doing. I'm that's really exciting. Are you like, how are you? Do you have like a roadmap or something? Or are you just winging it? It's just, it's terrible. I'm winging. I know how to frame a little bit because okay. I've done some of that, but I'm kind of winging it, you know, figuring it out because the trees, trees apparently don't grow. I'm using two trees and they don't necessarily grow exactly even or straight up and down. So you got to kind of wing it with a tree house and some parts of it. Yeah. So it's been kind of fun. That's exciting. They're going to love that when it's done. I've always wanted a tree house or I always did when I was a kid. That's really cool, man. Yeah, me too. I don't, I never had one. I always was very, I had a lot of envy for those children that had them. Yeah. You always had that friend that had one. You're like lucky. Yeah. Gosh, he's a rich guy. <laughs> right. Like that kind of and they'd thing. always have the good cereal too. And it's like, dude. Yeah. You're like, what? I'm, I've been eating Cheerios. <laughs> What's, this is Captain Crunch. What's exactly. going on here? It's like, so, is there God? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My question. suffering is, is so hard. <laughs> I just begin to I go straight to those ontological uh, questions. Yeah. Right. And how's the weather today in Kansas City? We haven't done the weather report, and I feel like our listeners really, yeah. Oh, it's it's warm. It's a warm fall. They say the foliage is going to be less colorful this year as a result. Okay. I love fall. I'm so excited we're almost there. It's my favorite season by far. Yeah. I guess artists like fall because it's like the, it's all death. <laughs> You're all, it'll be bleak soon. But before that, then. Well, that is not the reason <laughs> I love it. I just like the cool, crisp air. It makes me feel like more alive than at any other time of the year. It's just like that, that cool wind, you know, kind of rushing over you. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. I'll go with that. I like that. So, Tim. Yes. Did you know? That our podcast is on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I did. You know why? Because I could. That's the easiest way for me to access it on my phone. I think I it's the easiest way for most people. And not only that, but we're also on Spotify. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud. I mean, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast, we are on it. But the main reason I wanted to talk about it today is twofold. First. It always does help the show if you subscribe to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. That, like, you know, makes those algorithms happy, sends us through the roof. But also, we have a review that I wanted to highlight from a listener, Tim. Well, we awesome. always, Very cool. I know. We always talk about, you know, if you have any feedback for us, please send it in to podcast.cinemafaith.com or leave a review. So I wanted to read a review today. This is from Erica. Erica, who wrote in the subject line, I missed this podcast. She wrote this in March when we came back to the fold. Erica writes, Tim and Jonathan took two years off this podcast and I thought you were done. Welcome back. Can I admit a secret? I struggle with watching some of the films they review. My violence level is PG. Sorry. But I listen to be informed of how great movies can portray Christian themes and I enjoy listening to their perspectives and I hope you create more podcasts. That's what Erica said. Thank you, Erica. That is so nice. Thank you for being a faithful listener. Thanks for sticking with us through that two-year absence and being excited that we're back. We're excited to be back. And Erica, just for you today, we have a special treat. I totally get the violence thing. I appreciate that you still listen to us, by the way, even though you can't watch most of the movies. But today we are, in fact, reviewing a PG movie 
It's even a kid's movie. So today you can watch this film and listen to us talk about it. This is for Erica. Turning Red. Pixar's Turning Red. Oh, I thought it was Pulp Fiction today. Oh, no. That's no. next month. I, <laughs> oh, okay. Schedule. All right. Good. All right. I just yeah. wanted to. I got, I got messed up on the schedule. Uh, Erica, Erica can listen. Okay, good. Yes. Yes, she can. Good to hear. That's a great review, man. And you know what? I like that what she said she said that she knows her boundaries like That's she right. knows what she can watch what she can't there's some stuff john that you don't watch that i can watch and vice versa right 100 percent. we talk about it all the time yeah and she's trying to be faithful to her you know to her herself but also to to god and i love that yes like know what you can do and i didn't feel like she imposed on us at all no, like she just said all. this is my boundary Yep. I love it. And she still listens and values what we say, even if she doesn't watch the movie. And just, yeah, it was really cool. Thank you, Erica. We appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So before we jump in to Turning Red, Tim, what have you been watching? Anything been percolating in your eyeballs lately? My eyeballs. The thing I did I did watch that I liked was there was, there was this guy with the last name Tippett. And he created a lot of the stop motion for a lot of films that you would know, classic films that you would know, like Empire Strikes Back, the chess scene from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. He did all that. There's a documentary right now on uh, Prime that talks about all his all the things that he did. He did some of the RoboCop stuff and then how he made the transition from stop motion into motion capture Uh and how stop motion actually prepares you for that. I thought it was cool because we talk about on the podcast a lot the interaction of tech and art, what's real and what's not. And this was like, Hey, we know we had all the tech to do the, he did the, some of the dinosaurs for Jurassic park. Mm -hmm. He said, we had the tech to do them and the, and the stop motion wasn't good enough. We needed the actual tech, but we needed somebody that would like know how those characters moved and could give personality to them. So they needed an artist even after they had the tech, which I was like, Whoa, that's like kind of a good insight. So that kind of runs through that film. I would highly recommend that film to anybody that's into movies at all. It's just so what it's called. Ah, geez. Something. T- it's okay. It's on Prime, remember. and the last name is Tippet. It's on Prime. Right? So, Tippet. T-I-P-P-E-T. Yep. Okay. Yeah, if you Google that, you'll find it. Awesome. That's so cool. I mean, like, Jurassic Park I is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I still cannot believe how well that holds up. So that just goes to the artistry, you know, like what he put into that. We're talking in 2022, it's still better than a lot of films that have been released, like, in the last five years. So, I mean, yeah, practical effects mixed with motion capture. And motion capture has been such a huge huge part of movies such an important element in getting it right so that's great i will check that out thank you so the guy's name's phil Tippett. okay he's got a whole he did starship troopers he did a bunch of other stuff and i'm trying i don't remember the name of the movie hey starship troopers i i'm so glad you mentioned that because i just watched that and recently again and i it's a guilty pleasure of mine because like you know that movie's so weird because it's kind of bad but kind of amazing at the same time and it's also you know a little raunchy in parts and stuff so i can't like openly recommend it to everyone but the special effects in starship troopers from 1997 are incredible and it was nominated for an oscar for it i mean it's that good and like it that that holds up really well too so yeah tip it man he's all over it he's yeah so what you just said like is exactly what was said which was this was a box office kind of blah it wasn't a total failure but what happened is it became a cult classic and the all of the effects held up, just like oh, Jurassic yeah. Park. So it has some a lot to do with the artistry of this guy. So anyway, really cool behind the scenes. You like don't everybody knows who Jeff Goldblum is, but who knows Phil Tippett? Nobody. I didn't know him. So now now you can uh, check that out, and I, I would highly recommend that. Perfect. I will. All right. As far as me, I so I really want to watch The Northman, and we were actually going to do it on this for this show, but you rightfully said we needed a little bit of a change of pace, which I totally agree with. Uh, not another another uh, hard R revenge epic did not. Uh, you know, we've been doing some intense movies lately. We needed a little bit of change. So, but I'm going to review it. I'm going to do a little write up for it later, uh, probably next month. And so I was going to prepare for it by prepare to review that movie by watching his first two movies because Robert. Eggers, who's the writer and director of The Northman, he uh, is kind of like Jordan Peele. He's, he's on his third film. So you can go back, you can kind of watch his entire filmography, you know? And so I did. I rewatched The Witch and The Lighthouse. Those are his first two movies. And both of those films are so 
good at him. And I for and I this is this is what I really wanted to mention is that you should definitely watch them, but also like I'm starting to really like question my first viewing, like my first take on films because it was the same thing with Peels, Get Out, and Us. I watched The Witch and the and the Lighthouse when they came out in the theaters. I remember watching them and I remember thinking, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, there's some things that blah 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 blah. You know, like like good, not great. And I watched these two again, like this last week, and I'm like, no, these are like pretty much perfect movies. Like they are many masterpieces and I especially the lighthouse I was blown away by that movie and so I started to think like I guess it makes sense that like your first viewing can't always get it right I mean because it's like it is so much depends on what mood you're in that day what like uh you know what you and what life experience you bring to the table and if you think about like the lighthouse even that movie came out in 2019 you think about everything that's happened to the world to our personal lives and so Watching it again, like three years later, I'm bringing so much more of my experience to the table, and I guess that's why, that's why it makes sense. But I like I just so be humble out there with your first viewings of things because I'm I'm learning that I've been getting it wrong a lot in uh, my my first hot take. So there you go. That's what I wanted to bring up. Well, I think that's that's gotta be true for everybody. I mean, like like even like you look at critics. Critics will go see a movie multiple times. And same with like, uh, like I remember I was reading like a food critic, Jonathan Gold used to be a music critic. He, he mm. since died, but he, uh, he was like uh, highly regarded and his, his take was like, he would go to a restaurant and he'd order the same thing over and over and over again. And so, because he would get a new experience, same thing. So, so I think it's like, that's why we, you know, watching a film multiple times is a good, you know. Unless it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. Unless you sometimes if it's a really bad film, you can tell right away this is not this is not work. But that whole like if it's good but you didn't resonate with all of it, you know, you might fill in the pieces later on down the road. And I do that with albums. Like I'll I never trust my first take on a record. You know, like I'll sit with a with a new album from a band I like for a week or two before I really form an opinion on it. So yeah, I think that's fair to do that with movies too. Yeah, I think everyone feel like everyone has got understands the album example. Like what. A, that's like everybody gets that. You're like, yeah, well, I first listened to that Radiohead album. It was so horrible. Yeah. And then like three listens in, you're like, oh my gosh, this is genius. <laughs> so I think the same, the same thing with a lot of great movies so that we get, that we would give them a chance to kind of sit in and then we could get kind of align ourselves to the pattern of the movie rather than. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's true, man. That's a good point. Yep. All right, Tim. Well, here we go. Let's transition a little bit into our topic of discussion for today. So like we said from the top, I believe this is our first kids movie. I could be wrong about that, but I don't remember us reviewing a kids movie. So uh, Hateful Eight? No, no. Sorry, I just go to Tarantino <laughs> when I want some. You always go exam- to Hateful Eight. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> just, just like gruesome movies, like just hyper violent movies. I know. I loved that Hateful Eight experience, by the way. We remember we saw that together and we went to that, that theater and they had so like the little pamphlet. Cool. And the intermission. Yes. Oh, that was so cool. There yeah. hasn't. I haven't. That's the best theater experience I've ever had. I think. Me too. It was. That was great. But anyway, kids movies. Tim, since this is our first one, do you have a kids movie that impacted your childhood? That there's like one that stands out from when you were like maybe eight, nine, ten. That you're like that was the one. Do you have one? We didn't have cable, and we didn't have, and we would rarely go to the movies. We didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think the first film that I remember seeing was actually in Return of the Jedi. So oh, wow. like that would not be a kid movie necessarily, but it was it kind a cultural of phenomenon, especially that one with the Ewoks. I, th- I think it could. Um, oh, it yeah, could it's kind of cuddly teddy bear picnic thing going. Yeah, that's good. So that's the first one I remember. And that had like a big impact on me. And I saw, well, I had seen my, my grandma had a VHS or a beta. I can't remember. And we rented the original star Wars. So I think star Wars would be the first movie where i was like i'm all in <laughs> and i just loved it and I, whatever the kool-aid was i was drinking it probably also drinking real kool-aid yep. uh, yeah. while we're doing that because it's like you know early 80s but that and then i remember seeing the first animated film i remember seeing was called the black cauldron which is a disney movie it's not really well known never seen it and yeah. i remember seeing that yeah i was just kind of amazed by it and captivated so those are the first ones yeah i don't know how much i enjoy as far as animation Probably, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think that was probably that was probably the first one I saw was Black Cauldron, and then we saw I saw all the classic Disney, so Snow White, mm-hmm. Bambi. Those are all kind of 
if you had a daycare in the early 80s, you would have VCR and like that's when the, you know, teachers would take their cigarette break. <laughs> you know? You're like, exactly. <laughs> They're like, put on the movie. <laughs> We gotta. Get, I need. I'm getting edgy. <laughs> it's always nice to have that option as a teacher. God bless them. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have that option as much as they used to. That's right. Well, for me, I have got to go with the Sandlot. I something about that movie, man. And this was even before I was. Even, I wasn't into sports growing up at all because I didn't really get into that until I came to Wisconsin and was just like forced indoctrinated. And so it wasn't about the baseball. That movie was about like just. I mean, first of all, you got some dad issues, which always resonated with me as a kid because I, you know, I grew up without a dad. So Scotty in that movie has some has some dad things he has to work through. But like just also mm-hmm. that feeling of like being a loner and feeling like you don't belong, and then Benny comes along and kind of you know helps him into this circle of friends that suddenly he's accepted and they go on this adventure together like that was just i don't know it spoke something really deep into me so i watched the sandlot probably a thousand times when i was a kid it was like my movie so yeah i've heard that from people your age love that movie and it like it didn't appeal to me as a kid yeah i mean as an well i was older so right. I, so I was like, I don't get this, but it was, it was like, belong, it was something about belonging in that movie. It's yeah. like we're, we belong, the kids, we have a safe space we've created that is, has room enough to be unsafe for adventure, but the kids were kind of in charge and they could escape, they escaped their adult, the adult world at the Sandlot. And so it was like, we can get, we, we don't have to think about all this junk that we're dealing with. We can pop in here and then we have this community. Yeah. It, it's pretty powerful. I never thought of it that way. They, they, the way you just put that. And it, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes the movie makes way more sense now. Yeah. And of course, at the time when you're like nine, you're not thinking about any of that, but only as an adult, can you go back and be like, yeah, that was it. Like those themes, like we're speaking something deep deeper to me than just like the plot about the baseball and the dog. Like there was something really deep going on there. I've even had a, a, like a baseball diamond at my grade school and we called it the sand lot and I hung out there with my friends and it, it fe- yeah, there's just something that was like, it was like coming home when, when I watched that movie. So for sure. And then Jurassic Park, that was a big one. Like speaking of kind of Return of the Jedi, a little bit more older kind of films. Like when I watched Jurassic Park, I was 10 when I watched that in the theater. So like from 11 to now, I mean, I've seen that movie probably more than most of the films I've seen. So uh, yeah, that was a big, that was a big moment for me too. So Jurassic Park and the Sandlot would be my two. Nice. Those are highly regarded films. <laughs> That's right. And speaking of childhood movies, I also distinctly remember my first brush with Pixar. So the movie today, of course, we are watching is a Pixar movie. Tim, do you remember when Toy Story came out? Do you have any recollection? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my sister is 14 years younger than me. And so like with with uh, Toy Story, was, what's Toy Story? Like 91 or something or 89? Some, I should know that. 90, but, it's 90 yes. something, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when that came out, it was like technically revolutionary, but yeah. yeah. It was a new kind of animation, right? Because I mean, we all knew cartoon animation, but Pixar spun everything on its head and used this computer, you know, basically CGI to to mix with it. And so suddenly you had this very photorealistic, you could just reach out and touch it, shiny toys, you know, and it was just like something we'd never seen it before. And I remember that when it came out. So we had this, we had this movie theater near our house called Studio 28. And Ooh. there was, it was huge, this huge theater with this, like these big ceilings, at least I remember as a kid, probably I would walk into it now and be really small. It doesn't exist anymore. But if I was, if I could. And so anyway, I remember the Toy Story posters were were like hanging from the ceiling and it was all like in a row. You had one with Woody, you had one with Buzz, and it was just a bunch hanging around. So like it was a big event when this movie came out. And I remember watching it in their biggest theater at Studio 28, which was Theater One. Someone in Granville, Michigan, like is out there screaming because they know what I'm talking about. Every time, anytime a big movie came out, you went to Theater One at Studio 28. And so anyway, <laughs> that's where I saw it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it was a big deal at the time. So, yeah, that animation was was revolutionary, and it was kind of Pixar's first, like, hey, here we are, and not only are we going to bring you stunning visuals, we're going to give you a great story that's going to, like, resonate with you no matter what age you are, and it's going to move you, it's going to make you cry, and uh, we're and they've been doing that ever since. So my take on the Toy Story thing is, at some point, these executives realize you needed a a movie that would function at two like multiple levels so that an adult because the adult buys the ticket right it's not a kid buying a ticket right so the adult buys the ticket and then um if it's 
like the adult enjoys it, then it's like, oh, hey, this is a bonus. And so those those began to have to be the criteria. And then also the video market was really blown up then too. So VHS tape would have, if you wanted to buy one, the adult would have to buy it and they'd have to like it. So, so I think that's like really critical. I had a buddy who worked for DreamWorks mm-hmm. when I lived in uh, Pasadena. And he was always he was saying, yeah, hey, they'll offer you a bunch of money if they use your script or your idea even because they were looking for ideas. The only the only thing that they asked was it has to function on an adult and a kid level. So if you look at the DreamWorks stuff, which is, you know, the next level, I mean, that's after Pixar. But if you look at it, Shrek, like if you watch Shrek as an adult, you're like, wow, that's full of dis- just tons of dirty jokes, penis <laughs> jokes, like all kinds yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, but the kids don't get it. But the adults do. And mm-hmm. then the kids, the, but, the, but it functions so well for kids too. So I think that that became like this new kind of grail for everybody to do was like, let's make it as good for the adults as it is for the little guys. Absolutely. And it feels like Pixar pioneered that. I mean, sure, there were some examples prior to that. But like, yeah, it felt like Pixar was the first thing is where it's like an adult and a kid can go in. And rather than the adult just checking out for two hours as the kid is, you know, howling with laughter and the adults checking the watch, you can actually both be engaged. You can receive it on on different levels and then like really connect uh, with your kid with what you're watching it's beautiful i love it do you have a favorite pixar movie tim one that stands above the rest uh name a few and i'll see if they're pixar i always get confused wally the incredibles toy stories obviously up ratatouille a bu- is a bug's life a bug's life yeah mm-hmm. that was early on that's probably my favorite okay so bug's life yeah yeah because it's based on seven samurai I just, I don't know. I just like the characters. That's probably my favorite. Okay. Great. I'm going to have to go with, I'm just, it's so boring, but I'm going to have to go with the original Toy Story. And simply, I don't think it's the best Pixar movie, but it's just, it was such a big moment to see that for the first time. And I, I it takes me back every time I watch it. So that, that's my boring Pixar answer. But I mean, look, there's so many to choose from. Wally is like, Wally is going to be a Criterion film soon. It was the it's actually the first what? Disney Pixar that's going to be on the Criterion collection and it deserves it. That is a classic. Wally is a fantastic movie. I also have bad memories from Wally because I worked at the movie theater at that time and um cleaning up a kids sh- or a showing of Wally was a nightmare as a theater employee. It was just sticky boxes everywhere and it was like sure, a bomb. Sure, does Wally doesn't Wally like clean up things? Yeah, that's so funny. You're right. So ironic. (laughs) We would walk into this nuclear disaster after a screening of Wally, which is all about cleaning up trash. And yeah, yeah. And then you were like, "Oh, they reenacted this disaster." Okay. Anyway, so yeah, (laughs) Pixar. Great. And, you know, look, it's not like even Pixar's glory days are behind them. You know, we've been talking about Toy Story and A Bug's Life, which was early on. But I mean, Soul came out. When was that like a year ago ish and mm-hmm. that's a great film too i've watched that three times with my kids they love it i love it that hits on a lot of really deep themes that uh, probably do go over like my youngest head but like you know we're all but they're still we're all still enjoying it together so yeah they're still yeah, killing I, it. I feel like older kids like that and adults liked it but i thought my my younger kids didn't they were didn't like, like soul nah. yeah uh-uh. but they yeah that, that wasn't their jam Mm-hmm. But yeah, the quality's still there. So now let's discuss whether Turning Red lives up to that high bar. But first, of course, we have to talk about the plot, Tim. So my mom... Oh, no. <laughs> my mom's at home. We're like, what is Turning Red? And she's depending on you to discuss what is this what this movie is about. So, Tim, go ahead. What, what What is this Turning Red thing about? Okay. Well, what it's actually about, or will you want me to do the actual summary of what happens? Yeah, both. both. I'll do, this, I'll do okay. the summary. I'm not okay. going to say what it's actually about. Yeah, go. I don't claim, claim that knowledge. Okay, so there is a girl. She's the only child, and she has parents that their job is to look after a temple in Toronto and it's uh, their family ancestor temple and it's panda themed, red panda themed. So she's going to school and, and she's doing really well and she's kind of an overachieving kid and she's always trying to please her mother and her mother's super involved, micromanaging. At the same time, the daughter can do no wrong in her eyes. And so out of nowhere, she has this bad dream and she turns into a panda one night, a red panda, giant one. And now she has this thing that she has to deal with. And, and she finds out pretty quickly after that, that 
every all the girls in her family, all the women in her family have the same issue where that about the age of 13 or 14, they turn into red pandas, different ones, but with different levels of severity, but they turn into giant red pandas. And so she, she also finds out because she has a group of friends, four friends that are, or no, is it three friends? I can't, now I'm trying to remember it's three. friends. Three friends. It's four yeah. together. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she has three friends and those friends help her control her emotions because when she gets really over emotional, that's when the panic comes out. But they give her kind of a peaceful place when she thinks about them and they help her control it. And as a result, she's able to control when she becomes a panda and when she becomes a girl, better than anyone had in the family up to that point. That's right. And as Tim alluded to, there is a little subtext going on here, right? Because May, which is the 13-year-old girl's name, she's entering that season of life that all kids have to enter, puberty. She's going through her first period, and the movie is... Ben, as they have, Pixar has admitted as much that it is a kind of a metaphor for puberty, for getting your period, and uh, you know that just that time in your life, also where you're even you know whether you're a boy or a girl, where you can relate to, where you sort of have to disconnect from your parents, you're starting to become your own person, and you're dealing with a lot of emotions and hormones inside of you that you have to figure out, and that's kind of the, the metaphor of the panda, the changes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Like and so the movie's age, about her trying to figure out reverse. what to do. And, what's that? <laughs> it's like reverse middle age (laughs) exactly where's my hair going (laughs) yeah and her parents say that they're you know they tell her that there's this ritual that can be performed where she can trap the panda inside of herself for good but her friends are sort of encouraging her that maybe maybe it's not such a bad thing so there you go that is turning red thank you tim well done thank you well i don't know anyway conflict there's conflict that's going on. Yeah, and we chose we chose this to to review it this month because well, first of all, there's nothing to go see in the theater at the moment. There hopefully there will be soon and we needed the change of pace like Tim said, but also this movie has been on a lot of top 10 lists of the of the year so far. Obviously, it's very early. We're going to get Oscar movies, and that's all going to shift around. But as of September, this is is on a lot of a lot of top 10 lists from from the major critics. So that's why I picked it. And really? I thought, yeah. I that's I didn't yes. know that. Yes. So that's so. But does it live up to that? Uh, we're about to find out. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. So as far as acting is concerned, there's really only one big name in this, and that comes from Sandra Oh, who plays May's mom, Ming. Sandra Oh is, of course, a great actress. Sandra Oh. Yeah, she's Sandra Oh. She started out in Grey's Anatomy, which, it should be said, is a legitimately good show for the first few seasons. It's, of course, turned into a ridiculous soap opera that I bailed on somewhere around season four, but can you believe it's still going, by the way? They just renewed it for season 19 on ABC. I mean, terrible. If you still watch Grey's Anatomy, you're in the moral wrong. You, you are so, definitely right? objectively you're, wrong. You, you have no high ground anymore. You're <laughs> you're in a gutter. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, yeah. It's just so funny. Like when you ever watch British shows, they're like they're like two seasons. Like, oh, we got to be done. We got to tap out. This is like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stretch it on too long. And then America, we're just like nineteen seasons, baby. It's gonna keep on coming. Wow, that's <laughs> okay. a long okay. time. It's a long time. There are anyway. people that weren't born. No, there were there are people that were born when it first came out and they've been they can vote. Yes. Yes. They can buy cigarettes, these people. True story. <laughs> it's concerning. Yeah. Anyway. You're gonna need uh, cigarettes if you're gonna watch that night twentieth season. <laughs> You're going to need something to cope. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't terrible. imagine going back. And Ellen Pompeo, she's still there. It's Meredith or whatever. That's Ugh. a steady paycheck right there, Steady man. paycheck. Uh, wow. yeah, you, you, yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't blame her. I mean, that's that's just Tw- 20 that's years job. of work. <laughs> wow. But she was also good. Of course, Sandra Oh is also good in Sideways, which is a movie I can't talk about enough. That's always worth like a yearly rewatch. Fantastic film. And she's great in that. And of course, Killing Eve, which is another great show that it only has four seasons and they finally ended it, which you should. Anytime you get around three or four seasons, you just got to you got to pull the plug on that, baby. And so, yeah, Killing Eve, that's definitely worth checking out if you haven't. So, Tim, you're, you're a Sandra Oh fan, right? Uh, I would say I'm like, uh, I appreciate her work, but I don't call myself a fan. Okay. Sure. Well, but that's it as far as like big names are concerned. 
the lead of the film, who plays May, her name's Rosalie Chang, she was just supposed to be like a stand-in for the part. She hasn't done hardly anything. She's done like a couple short films and like a video game voiceover. And so she was just going to like be a filler. And then she won the part. And this is her first like lead voiceover role. So that's cool. And all the younger cast like have done practically nothing. The Really, the older people are the ones that have some impressive filmographies. Like the actress who plays the grandma in the movie, Wei Cheng Ho, she's had parts in like Orange is the New Black and some Marvel stuff. And the dude who plays Mr. Gao, his name's James Hong, he has 450 film credits. It's like, yeah, he's what? got an incredible voice. Since you know? 1954, that dude's been going. Yeah, he's just been in everything. He every As soon as I heard his voice, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, in a lot of stuff. Crazy. And he's one of those guys that like hasn't had some like signature role. He's just been a little something in everything. Doing character acting for like ever. He's got, he's like, got all, he's, he's, he, you know, he's got work like it's Grey's Anatomy, but more. I exactly. mean, he's like, he's in every, he's in everything. Everything. That's yeah. cool. And the last name worth mentioning, I guess, is Jesse from the Four Town group. There's like this band in the movie that the girls are obsessed with. They're called Four Town, kind of like a Backstreet Boys type band. Jesse from that group is played by Phineas. I don't know if you're familiar with Phineas. Like uh, Phineas Tim. It's Billy, Billy, no, Billy Eilish's <laughs> brother. So you know, Billy oh, Eilish. Yeah, yeah. So that's his band. That's his. It's yeah, not his, I'm, yeah, well, she, I'm showing my old. <laughs> she helped him Sorry. write some of the songs for the movie, and uh, he plays he plays Jesse. So yeah, Phineas is in that. Oh. I've heard of him. I don't know anything about him. He's good. He just started a solo career, and uh, his debut album came out last year. It's pretty good. So, um, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I like Billie Eilish. So, yeah. Was there anything that stood out to you acting-wise with the voice work in this one? Anything that jumped out at you? Uh... No, I mean it's tough, like, right? What I, yeah, yeah. This is different. When we we don't do animated stuff much, except for Marvel movies, mm-hmm. which are completely computer animated. <laughs> but we don't do shots fired. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, it was. That was just so for everyone else that loves Marvel. No, but the uh, we don't do a lot of animated. So it's hard to like what makes a good voice actor. I don't know, and and so hard for me to know. I just don't know. I feel exactly the same way. I was trying to think like it, it's just so hard because you know when you can judge acting, you can judge a performance, you can judge someone like you know having a moment or whatever. But like with voiceover work, it's sort of like you have your the animation is happening in front of you. That's what you're concentrated on, and then yeah, the voice is nice, but it's just difficult to like say yes, that really stands out. So I, I feel the exact same way. It's just it's it's hard. Yeah. I don't know how to judge that. I'm not like qualified to judge that at all. I have no idea. Same. Sorry. One thing we can judge, though, is the animation. And you can't talk about a Pixar movie without mentioning it. I thought it was a beautiful film to watch, specifically the level of detail on the panda hairs. I I was obsessed with it. I was just like, I loved looking at those little detailed furs, man. The guard hairs. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. Like, if you could show that to someone like 20 years ago, be like, this is animated. I'd be like, what? So like every single hair, because there's because like I, I do a lot of fly tying. So like there's guard hairs and there's undercoat. So those guard hairs are the ones you're talking about. They're like way out on the panda. Yeah. So they first off they've animated that, and then with like real, like it looks like real fur. I mean that's like that's the next level kind of stuff. And I'm sure they've been doing it in other things, but with this movie, that, you're right. That's a, that's a good point. So you have to know like how each little piece of fur is gonna move. Yeah. I mean, that's that makes like blades of grass like pretty mellow. <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah, because it used to be like oh blades of grass, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's how did they do that? Now I'm like oh fur, that's different because each because certain parts are going to move in different ways with the body motion. I mean, that's amazing. It's a monumental task, and it looks stunning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was beautiful to watch. So, Turning Red was directed by. Dami Shi, who is making her feature film debut, but she's not a novice Tim because she's already won an Oscar for a short film called Bao, B-A-O. Not sure how to pronounce it, but yeah, so she's an Oscar-winning director, but this is her first feature film, and it's the first Pixar movie directed solely by a woman. So, milestones. She's only, she's only 32. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So where are the... I'm used to these being like directed by old guys. Mm-hmm. Old white guys right exactly but now, now and now we're like oh look it there's actually some like youth here and you could kind of you could feel it in the movie that's kind of cool that they let somebody have that kind of budget because i think it's like a hundred over a hundred million dollar film 
and they're like, here, have this. And they hand it over because these things are usually hyper controlling, highly successful people get handed these. And so to give it to somebody that is kind of proven, but not totally proven is, is kind of cool. I think so too. What did you think about the writing and directing here? Kind of like the execution. What are your thoughts? I have a hard time with animated stuff. I don't know how to, I don't know how to critique it. So I would say, yeah, it's hard for me. Cause you're like, how did this, how did somebody develop this shot? Is this like, I just really struggle cause it's such a different process to me. I mean, yeah, it's hard for me too. Like, if I we can't break it down in a normal way that we would break down like directing and shots. No, and stuff. it's but like, like editing. Like, what? Yeah. How? Did, yeah, it's hard for me. Like pacing. I guess I'll start us off here. I'll get the ball rolling. So, like for me, I feel like I love the metaphor of the movie. Right? Like, obviously, didn't grow up a woman, but I definitely remember puberty. I remember what it felt like, and I feel like she does a great job of capturing that feeling of sort of being trapped with these. Emotions inside of yourself also being torn between your parents and this sort of separate identity you're trying to create. So I feel like it feels right, this metaphor and stuff. I guess the problem I ran into as the movie progressed was how the metaphor is handled. Like, if they just kept it kind of like once you hit this stage of your life, you have this panda now that's always a part of you. It lost me a little bit with the whole we're going to trap it. And then now it's like no longer a part of you. Like, I guess I just, I feel like the metaphor got stretched a little bit beyond the breaking point And I sort of lost the plot as far as like, cause I wanted to feel like I, you know, when it started, I'm like, yes, I get it. I feel like I, I remember feeling that way or whatever. And then the way they kind of went with the whole ceremony and the adults don't have their panda anymore. Like that just, it sort of didn't make sense to me. And so I feel like the metaphor gets a little, a little stretched thin. Did you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Like how do you lose your panda? Here's what I was thinking about this. How is this any different than Teen Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> With Michael J. Yeah. Fox? Yeah. Like it's, it's basically like a high-budget Teen Wolf. Sure. So Michael J. Fox, like similar thing, right? Except it's a it's a it's like a guy's perspective. So it's a family curse, too. His dad turns into a wolf also. And uh, he has to learn how to like deal with turning into a wolf it's emotionally i mean it's, it has some jekyll hyde to it right like mm-hmm. this whole idea is not a new idea sure yeah and even connecting it to puberty so it seemed like a lot like teen wolf to me so yeah. that, that was kind of my take on it and like okay how do you learn to balance your life with this new thing so that makes sense but get rid of it didn't make any sense to me like that's a plot issue exactly that's like i just it, there's a even my one of my kids pointed that out like i don't yeah so like that that was weird and i also felt like if we're just talking straight up like directing as much as we can like the ending felt a little strange with the whole concert like how the the four town boys like don't seem phased at all by uh their concert being ruined by a bunch of big huge pandas and then joining in on the singing with the ritual that that felt a little a little ridiculous uh, in the in the final stage of that. If we're judging it, at- yeah, they wrapped up. They kind of like uh, there was loose ends that got like tied up. Like we're going to raise money to fix the building, but like other things that didn't make any sense at all. Like, did people die in that panda? <laughs> right, it's like, it bears <laughs> questioning. I know, and it's like okay, and then and then maybe like we're just the you know being unreasonable because it's an animated film. But I feel like I don't know, especially Pixar has sort of like put the bar at where you know treat this like reality, and I think they've done that in the past. So I I don't I'm not just gonna throw out the you know just say oh it's animated. I feel like you got to still follow the rules and like it just yeah that third act uh, was a little messy for me. They kind of wrap things up in a little ridiculous sort of way. But I think that's the experience cuz this is you know if you look at the the biography of the director this is like an experience of a lot of folks who have okay so like there's a tradition there's ancestor worship there's honoring your family because they've sacrificed everything for you. Like that's mm-hmm. a theme that you that you see in a lot of shows. And so how do I Like, how do I honor my family, but also be my own person? So I think like, you know, okay, I live in Toronto, which is kind of like New York or something. And I have friends that come from different cultures that don't have the same culture and I need to be able to like honor them. So I I see some of that like as being like, why would you break with tradition? Because that's what she does. It's about breaking with tradition while still honoring your family. Yeah. Which I think is a real, in particular, your mother. So how how do you do those things and how do you do it well? I think there's some that that to me has like a, there's a lot of fertile ground there. 
Oh, absolutely. People resonate with it versus, but I I wasn't raised like that. I was raised very different. Like, cause I was raised by hippie baby boomers. And so like their thing was like fight the power and like rebel against the authority and like all that. So if your kids did the same thing, you have no, like nothing to stand on. Mm-hmm. Well, this is more like, well, here's our, here's a long line of tradition that we all did the same thing. I resonated with it a lot, man. Like I'm, I'm kind of jealous of your parents, to be honest. Like I, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I, um, you know, like I've always mentioned before, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household, and so it, it wasn't obviously this these Chinese tradition with rituals. But I feel like in a in a conservative evangelical way, there were rituals. You know, there was youth group on on Wednesday nights, and you know all the things that you're supposed to do, and you were supposed to believe certain things. And so, I identify with that struggle of like questioning things that were not supposed to be questioned. And also, you know, my mom and I growing up, and we can just get into some themes here. Like my mom and I growing up, she um. I don't I have no blame on, on this for her at all, but like it was just me and her and, you know, and, and some stepdads along the way. But for a lot, for most of my childhood, it was just me and her. So she was overprotective, yeah. which would make total sense because I was all she had, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. and, and physically. And so like, yeah, there was a lot of incidents that I could, that I related to in this movie, like the, uh, the micromanaging mom. I mean, like we, we lived in a trailer park and there was, we were right across from the pool. Like they had this little community center with a pool and we were literally like a stone's throw away from it. Maybe a hundred feet. You could watch and, him swim, yeah. everyone. And still, I had to bring a hair dryer to make sure my hair was dry, so that in the two seconds of like going back to my house, I didn't get a cold. You know, and stuff like that. That like you know, it's it's little things, but like when you're with your friend and you're bringing a hair dryer along to the pool, they're looking at you like, dude, what is what is wrong with you? Like, yeah. So there was kind of like the mother's fear, right? And then the child had the child had to like either like go, okay, hey, this is reasonable. Or has said there's there's some differentiation that had to happen too. Exactly. So how do you like honor your parents and still be authentic to yourself and also honest with your friends? So I think that that's a good, what a good uh, thing for like, I mean, that's a good topic for like, you know, for kids. I think that's good. Like, how can I honor my family, care about my family, but then also be a, be my own person? So I think that's a, that's a good, like, to me, like, that's the heart of the meat of the story here. And that's, that's good. I think kids need to, kids just start thinking about that. I think we, we should think about that now. Absolutely. And like, I feel like as you know, po- puberty, uh, and that whole kind of, well, I mean, every, every parent jokes about like, Oh, wait till he's 15 or 16 or something, you know, and it's like, you go through those teenage years, but like that is, there is something biologically essential about those hard years where, a a kid needs to say, I no longer agree with my parents about this, or I'm trying, you know, it's, and I'm trying to figure out what I think about the world. And that it may be different than what mom and dad taught me or wish that I believed. And so like, I feel like that is an essential part of becoming yourself. And of course it's going to be messy and you're going to make mistakes. And maybe you come back around in, you know, 10 years and be like, yeah, they were right. But I think like that separation is healthy and it needs to happen, but it's very difficult to go through for both the kid and the parent. Yeah. So from the parent perspective, so I guess that kind of builds this into, like we talked about having two levels, right? So automatically there's a parent, like if you're a parent, you can connect to the parents and then as the kids can connect to the kids. And so it already, it has that. And I think that that's one of the strengths of the movie. Yep. Did you have any cringy? I mean, it sounds like your parents are pretty freaking cool, but did you have any cringy moments growing up? <laughs> did you have things you could identify with? And like, oh yeah, that, that did uh, we happen. Weren't, I don't, I didn't feel like we were very restricted. I'm trying to think like from a, no, you can't go to that. I think I was probably like, no, you can't go to this. No, you can't go to that. There was probably some of that. I think a lot of it was just we were limited economically. So it was like, no, you, we, you're going to have to figure figure something else out to do. We didn't have a lot of over, at least I didn't. I wouldn't feel like I was over, had overproduction because my, my, had both parents and my dad grew up in India and they were allowed to do like whatever they wanted, not mm. whatever, but like they could do way more risky stuff than a kid over here might do. So there was a lot of freedom and you felt that was imparted to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I felt like they were, like, go ahead and do what you want. But they were also into consequences. So if the car broke, it was like, you had to fix it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like, okay, maybe if I have a little time, I can give you some advice, but figure it out. Either you, so I remembered like that was, it was all about consequences as a, not just a little kid, but as a teenager. 
So you've got to deal with what happens as a result of your actions. It was mm. kind of like a big thing, but not as much, not hovering, not helicoptering. Yep. I didn't get in, I didn't get a lot of that. So yeah, a little different. We, we grew up very differently. We did. I even remember a moment that was kind of similar to, you remember when May's mom um, drives to the, or she catches wind that she has a crush on the boy and she drives to the store where he works or whatever and like reads <laughs> oh, yeah. about, oh my God. Now I think we didn't have any moment like that with girls, but I remember I had the, the, literally as I was watching that scene, I had this flashback that I haven't thought about in like 15 years, but I was at this video game store and I was like my birthday and I was going to decide between two video games. It was either going to be GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64 or Mission oh, Impossible. That's a good game. And anybody who knows video games knows obviously you pick GoldenEye. I mean, it's, GoldenEye. A, yeah. it's a classic. And the person, the really cool, hip dude at the counter that I wanted to, you know, be, who's older than me, uh, he was of course like, dude, you, you got to pick GoldenEye. Like there's no comparison. You got to pick it. But I was torn because I really like Mission Impossible. I like, you know, I like the franchise and so I was like, oh, I was debating back and forth. But he was like, no, there's no question. So anyway, that one point, my mom, she took charge and she told that she was like, told, told the dude at the counter, like, excuse me, this is my son's decision. I would appreciate it if you'd butt out of it, basically. And <laughs> I just wanted to melt into the ground. Um, yeah. You know, she's looking out for me. She was looking out for my decision. Again, no ill will, but it's like those, there's those little moments that you, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who grew up and you look and you're like, yeah. Yeah, that was tough. No, you're not. I think we, there's cringy moments in every in every uh, child. Like I remember my mom threw a birthday party for me one time. With it was a surprise party. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she invited all these girls from my class. Oh, whoa! Grade. And so like I'm hanging out. It's a Saturday, you know, just slobbing around. And all of a sudden, my mom's like, "Um, I just want to let you know." we're having your birthday right now or something like that. <laughs> no. And I'm like, Oh gosh, who's coming? Cause I wouldn't have done it that way as a sixth grader. I would have like, I would have done something with like a few, like maybe a handful of friends, dudes. Yeah. And so she invited all these girls from my class. Oh, and so they all started no showing up and then, yeah, it was terrible. You're not even mentally ready for it. You're probably not physically ready no. for it. Yeah. Right. And so I like was like, Oh my gosh. I was like freaking out and super unhappy. And everyone was like, what's going on? I felt like, yeah, like my control was taken away and mom was like, probably just trying to do something nice, but it was like, I did not experience it as something nice. The, the, the red panda came out, man. <laughs> yeah. I feel like surprise parties are like that at any age. Like who wants to walk in, you know, to a room when you're like, when you're just think you're going to have a chill day in your sweatpants and your t-shirt and all of a sudden there's like 30 people in their best clothes that have like come for you. It's like, can I, can I just have a little heads up just a little bit? Yeah, they're definitely not for introverts. I'll tell you that. Like, no. uh, my wife's like, never throw me a surprise party. I'm like, yes, ma'am. But like, I've had a good one. I had a, I had my 18th birthday was a surprise party, and it was just they pulled it off well. It was like perfect. Everything was done well, and it was low key. It was just a whole lot of fun, and everybody was in on it, and I didn't feel awkward. So like, somehow that worked out. But it doesn't generally. It's like it's a 90 percent fail rate. I think. Yeah, I think 90 percent. Now, having said that, I. And, and I will give credit to my mom here. I uh, did have a great 16th surprise birthday party. She pulled that off. Hey. Totally shocked me. And it was a really fun night. So that was great. And in defense of surprise parties, I did throw my wife one for age 30 that she still talks about to this day. I got all of her old friends and everything. I think you were probably there too. It was everyone oh, from nice. our church and stuff at the time. And she was totally surprised and blown away and had a night to remember. So it can be great. But it also can be messy. I'm impressed. I think I remember. I don't know if I went to it, but I remember something. I think I'm old, man. I, I think I was there. I can't remember. I think last I was there. I it's it. very bad. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, what other themes uh, stood out to you in this one, man? I, I like I said earlier, like Jekyll Hyde, the idea that somebody could be two things at once, or like that we would have like a divided personality or divided personhood. Yeah. In order to please other people that really, I mean, as far as with like recovery, I always talk about 12 step, like the idea that we would be a person that would not be divided or would be less divided that way. And that we would have some kind of integrity. We would all, we, everything about us would be one. I think that, that this, by the end of this movie, there's integrity that the main character gets. Like that's the tension. How am I true to myself? How, and that same self can be true to 
my friendships and my parents? How do I honor these folks and honor myself? And I think that that's a big theme. And I think that that's really where I connected to it, which was you can't, if you're trying to like hold up multiple images, that's just not possible. We have to be kind of one thing, whether good, bad, or whatever. You're not gonna, we're not going to be able to please everyone. You can't please everyone. And even honoring the dark parts of yourself, the panda inside of you, right? Like I grew up, uh, I remember puberty well because, you know, everybody, you know, goes to that. As I'm speaking as a guy, I guess. Uh, every, every guy goes to that phase of like, I don't know, somewhere between 13 and 16 where it's like sex consumes your mind 24-7 and you feel kind of like a... Uh, I don't know. You feel like you feel like a, a furry monster at times, right? And so, but it was even I think especially more difficult growing up in a super Christian household because, like, I was taught that anytime I even thought about sex, that like God was mad at me, that I had to instantly like you know repel. And I've any time you have to fight against something like all the time, I feel like it makes it even stronger. You know, like if you're like, don't think about elephants, don't think about elephants. Everyone's thinking about elephants. So you're like defined. You're defined by that kind of counterforce. So it actually becomes more more powerful in some ways. Absolutely. And I think anyone who grew up in that mentality, that kind of purity culture mentality, can identify with that. It was like all day. It was like, don't think about sex. Don't think about sex. And so it's like was ten times worse than someone who just, you know thought about it in a normal way and but it wasn't this all-consuming thing so Mm -hmm. there was that and so i feel like i guess all that to say i feel like it was just recently that i've done a lot of work and unpacking how much i was at war with myself growing up like i would really you know without i took it very seriously take every thought captive and it was almost like i was at a constant battle with my with my own mind and my own you know which then there's something healthy about that there is a a point where we need to of course have integrity have self-control but i feel like i never was taught to love myself to love every part of myself Mm -hmm. even the darkest parts even you know the parts that i'm ashamed of and and i feel like that's what may learns and that's what we're supposed to learn at the end of that journey is is sort of a healthy love for yourself and and it just i think for some of us who grew up in that kind of environment it doesn't you don't get there until you kind of snap out of it in your 30s and and that's really sad so the litmus test for the how how much we embrace the dark kind of that darkness right would be is it hurting me? Is it hurting others? And not just like superficially hurt, like not like your mom's going to be mad because it doesn't fit her vision of how you should be. Yeah. But more like, is this like causing damage to other people? It's like certain, like her mom embracing that dark side, like created damage, but she, as she embraced it actually creates fun. So for some folks, like it would, you know, some, they, they're able to have moderation in something, which it sounds like may is in this thing. Oh, I can be moderate with the panda. But other folks, they're like, no, I can't. I am not able to do that. And so to respect kind of both of those perspectives, but not have either one of them is going to be totally limiting. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. And maybe what they were trying to say with the adults, you know, not like maybe what they were trying to say is that the adults never learned how to appropriate all of them or their panda side, you know, and that's why they felt like they had to cut it off. And I mean, I don't, ah, know. It, it's a theory. No, that sounds, that sounds good. I like that. Yeah. I'll have to think about that. And it was like the events of the film then forced them at the end to bring that panda back out and then decide, you know, how am I going to reassimilate this? So, I mean, yeah, I still think the metaphor gets a little jumbled, but, but yeah. But so it's always there with them, right? It's just how much is it under wraps? Mm-hmm. Huh? I think you're right. I, I like that. And so how do we like, are, do we revisit it and go, yes, I want to do this or that. And they all have a cho- the choice of what they want to do. Exactly. And then the community aspect would be my friends are the ones that are enabling or empower me to keep this thing under wraps. Right. So they got community that connects to my 12 step stuff too. Absolutely. Like, oh, community. Oh, you need people to help because you can't do it on your own, which that's so good. I like it. Yeah, it's important. You know, there's this time in your life where it's like you have to choose your friends over your parents, and that's healthy and that's good, but it's hard. I mean, like, gosh, this is bringing up so many childhood things for me. But I remember there was a time my mom was really sad one night, and um, and I had an invitation from my friend to go see Meet the Parents. This would be this dates me around like 2000 or something. And I, you know, I felt like my mom wanted me to stay and kind of like you know be with her, console her, whatever. And mm-hmm. but I wanted to go see this movie with my friend and I went 
laughed my head off, had an amazing night, and I remember coming back and feeling and and thinking to myself, I don't feel bad about this. I should. Like part of me thinks I should, but I don't. And because I did something that I think was good and normal and healthy. And so there's that, I guess it's that point where it's like, you have to choose your friends and, and that's, and that's an okay thing, but it's messy and it doesn't always feel great, but it's part of growing up. It's part of becoming you. And then how, how much do we use as parents? Like I think the parent perspective, right? Are we using guilt and shame to make our kids do things? Yeah. That's a big thing because I think it's very easy to guilt, to shame and not even a, like kind of examine it. So are we guilty and shaming our kids? And I think there's a level of, you know, you don't want to live in guilt and shame. I think guilt and shame are, they're just like pain because I think we need, it's, it's at some point it brings us to an action that will, you know, limit damage. So if we don't feel guilty about stuff. That's not good. That's, if you go all the way, that's sociopath, right? Yeah. But I think there's a degree where if we are just smothered in guilt and shame, then we're never able to differentiate and become re- the people that God's calling us to be who are, who have motivation that's internal, not just external. Yeah. And this all comes full circle for us as parents, right? I mean, it's why I have so much empathy for what my, for my mom and my childhood, because now I'm on the flip side of this thing and I'm making mistakes on a daily basis, you know, it's oh, like I'm, I'm yeah. looking back and I'm thinking, Oh yeah, th- these will be the stories my kid are going to tell on a podcast when they're 36 someday about me, because it's just like a rite of passage. And so it's, you're right. It's like guilt and shame, punishment, fear. Those are shortcuts and they get you results, you know, pretty quickly. But are they the results you're actually looking for? You know, unconditional love, actually taking the time to, you know, when you're, when your kids doing something so annoying or, or they, or, or even like when I struggle with this with my oldest, cause he's just entering the teenage years, he's 14 when he kind of is doing a power move with me, right? When he, when he's like questioning mm-hmm. my authority or something, my ego wants to kick in and be like, oh, screens are gone and blah, 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 blah. Instead of just taking a breath, slowing down, getting on his level, not being fragile, you know, and just like being that that strong source of unconditional love that can calmly respond with love, with empathy, with what he's going through. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's but I think the results are speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's different. It's definitely I mean, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy and I can be very intimidating. And like I remember as a chaplain, I had to be aware of that. So a lot of times I kneel when I met with people. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And so what I found is with my kids, like in the beginning, because I didn't know how to like, like I, when I felt overwhelmed, I would tend to like just try, I would intimidate my kids into like, go eat your vegetables, you know, absolutely, or clean that room or else, or like just get real intimidating to them because I knew it would have a response, but the response is fear. It's not love. And so if I want to create a household of fear, that's how, that's how you do it. You, you intimidate or you guilt and shame, or there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But to me, like that, as a parent, like that's not the, the way to go is to like, go listen to my feelings first. Right. So I have, what am I feeling that I want to intimidate my own kids? Right. Mm-hmm. Or I want to get total submission of you know, whatever they want or whatever I want them to do. And then, okay, listen to, okay, what am I feeling? Am I feeling out of control? Am I feeling anxiety? Am I feeling, and then go from there. Oh, well, is this going to create less anxiety? Oh no, more anxiety. Yeah. So it's kind of breaking those as a parent. I think it's hard because we get years and years and years of patterns and trying to break those. So for me, I, I, I resonate with like, oh, I wish I could do it differently. I'm going to try every day. And some days are going to go better than others. And I get asked all the time, you know, what's the hardest thing about being a parent? And the response I always give is that you still have your own life. You still have your own struggles and you're dealing with this role as a parent where basically the only way it really works is if you or only way it really works well is if you give yourself completely and you're unconditionally loving and stuff, but you have your own junk, you have your own patterns, you have your own crises going on in your personal life, and then you have to enter into this space as a parent. So it's hard, man. And you got girls. You, you're you right in the thick of the whole, the, where the where the, the ultimate metaphor this movie is driving at. Yeah, they liked it. I got actually uh, recorded on my iPhone their review, and they both, they both thought it was good. They gave it a B. A B. I was like, give it a letter grade. Yeah, like a B. Like uh, if my friend wanted to watch it, this is what they said. If my friend came over and wanted to watch it, of course, because we want them to be comfortable. But uh, we, we, we watched it. We liked it. But we wouldn't like that wouldn't be our first pick if we went to uh, Disney right now. We'd want to do something else. 
Hey, my kids are on the exact same wavelength. So my youngest, Zion, gave it a B minus. My middle child, Jonah, 12, gave it a B. And my oldest, Elijah, did not like it. He, he gave it a C. He said, the themes were very interesting, but he wishes they were in a better movie. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. That is a good little review. I like it. So right in the B range, our kids are, are kind of on the same page. That's yeah. where they're at. They're in that B range. Yeah. Well, Tim, all right. What are your final thoughts on Churning Red? And what's your letter grade? Go for it. Um, I, you know, as we're talking it through, sometimes talking with your, you know, I'm an external processor. So sometimes talking it out helps me like it better. I like the vulnerability at the end. Like that became the, so that the parent's vulnerability, she basically became a young child at the end, right? Before yep. she became a one and allowing your kids to see you vulnerable and broken and say, when I was a kid, I felt this way seemed really critical to like the whole film. And so now looking at it that way, I like it. I, I'd give, I think I gave the film a solid B just like my kids did, which was, I didn't come out of it being like, well, are we all going to see this. This is the greatest film ever. This should be winning awards or even best animated feature. I don't know. It was a entertaining film. I, it's good for like a Saturday afternoon, but I wouldn't pay money in a theater. Nobody did. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> made did. like 20 so million on a hundred and something million budget. I know they went to video with it, so who knows what it made. But yeah, I would say it's a solid B. I think it's a good movie, but I, I wouldn't go pay money in the theater to bring my whole family to it. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I thought it was a fun movie. I enjoyed watching it. There are definitely better Pixar movies out there, definitely better animated movies in the last few years. So yeah, I don't think it fully lives up to the Pixar brand. The execution could have been better for all the reasons we talked about. But look, it is still worth watching. I think we would both agree. We watched it with our kids. They enjoyed it for what it was. It's on Disney Plus, you know, for freaking $7.99 a month. That is better than taking your whole family to the theater and you get a nice... You a nice enjoyable movie if nothing else you have some great conversations afterwards with your kids right oh yeah so definitely yeah. i also give it a straight b that's my grade so yeah we're all in the b range except for my oldest he just he just thrashed it it's okay it's all good well good there you have it the movie is churning red it is streaming on disney plus like i said 7.99 if you want to check it out or if you haven't ever gotten disney plus you can get your free trial they always give you that first month free so check it out and you can also watch the mandalorian while you're there which is great so disney plus go for it i mean i mean i think eight bucks is still pretty good for a streaming service i pay 14 bucks for hbo max so disney's still on the Dude, low don't even talk about netflix i don't even know oh, what that costs it's like a hundred dollars right. an hour or something <laughs> i know it's terrible they keep upping the price i always get an email it feels like once a month like hey just so you know we're going up by two dollars it's like Stop. so my wife i told i told my wife let's cancel netflix and she said there's the gilmore girls are on netflix we'll never cancel netflix and communities on netflix i mean that's it is on netflix but like for the sake of one series we were paying $18 a month or something. I know. Anyway, yeah, I'm finding that the content of Netflix is like just really the I struggle with Netflix too. I mean, I was in it for Ozark for a while, but that ended, that's done and it ended terribly. So I don't know. Netflix, yeah, it's, I think everyone has a little bit of bad taste in their mouth with Netflix these days, but ugh. it's like we always say, I, I want an Apple Music streaming service. I want to pay one flat rate of $15 and I want all the things, all of it. Why can you pay $15 and literally get every album ever made on one service? And why can't we do that with the rest? I don't get it. So if there was that, here's, mm -hmm. can I ask this question? And it can, it was all content ever. Yeah. Everything. How much would you pay a month for that? $30. That's it. You'd only pay I'm $30 just trying to a month think, for like, all content to, ever. I'm, I'm saying it needs to be a deal, right? Cause I'm paying 14 for HBO max 10, you know, whatever for Netflix. I'm just trying to say, but this has everything says everything. I would pay a hundred dollars a month for it. I would pay a hundred dollars a month for it because, and because I think it would be worth it. I mean, think about that. That's everything. But there's no way that our current streaming subscriptions are coming to a hundred dollars. They're definitely coming to less than that at the moment. No, but this and, would have this would have every single. You'd have anything that was out there that content wise, just like Showtime Apple, right? stars, like the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, and then and then I don't know how you do sports. Maybe you get all the sports too. Sports is a challenge, right? Because I like I currently have yeah like some. Special 
Spectrum TV so I can get baseball every day. That's a whole. That's separate what I argument. get. I got Spectrum for football. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So yeah, if it had everything, including sports, holy, of course I would pay a hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. So I'm just thinking from like I'm thinking hypotheticals, right? So like that could never happen, but. What would you pay for it? I mean, this is like quite, I, if a listener has something like what? Is, what would they pay for this? Yeah. All the content, all the content. Let us know. Podcast at cinemafaith dot com. Show it. Tell us what you would pay for the ultimate streaming service. One thing. Everything. Everything. You get everything. You could watch old uh, Ren and Stimpy episodes. <laughs> like, what would you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know your thoughts on that mm-hmm. and the and turning red and the whole thing, and we will read your responses on the air just like we did with our dear listener, Erica. Thank you again for that beautiful review. We appreciate you, and I hope you. you enjoy watching this movie with us this time. And Tim, we are headed into October, headed into the award season. I don't know what we're going to do next month, but there is a new David O. Russell movie coming out with a really star-studded cast like Christian Bale, Adrian Brody, Robert De Niro. It's called Amsterdam, and it's some sort of like murder mystery thing I saw, in the 30s. Yeah, 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 yeah. My wife likes that. She like knives out. Uh, the, but yeah. But yeah, that the... Uh, so this murder mystery theme, it's like a certain certain folks love this. Mm-hmm. Like my son loves these. So so is that worth watching, do you think? I don't I know. Like, like that's that. the question. I there's no reviews yet. So I need to wait for that. But that's a mm. that comes out at the beginning of October. So if the critics are on board and it's worth watching, that might be that might be our best bet. The only thing I struggle with murder mysteries is it feels like the final reveal is always underwhelming. It's like never like oh it's always like, oh, it was that person. Okay. Uh, it's, it can never we can, it can never be signs, can it? <laughs> can it be signs? Can it be you know like seven or something? You need something yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. where the final reveal actually lives up to to the hype. Yeah. Oh, I meant sixth sense, not signs. The sixth sense, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. That's what we need. We need every movie to feel like that at the end. Absolutely. Every single murder mystery. Like, what do you mean a kangaroo did it? <laughs> oh, a ghost kangaroo. Ah, how'd that happen? Yeah. yeah. I think that the like if you talk about se- the sixth sense and you talk about seven, I think what makes it work so well is that like they found a way to do a final reveal that integrates everything that came before, where it feels like most murder mystery things always has some outside element that you could never piece together in a million years, even if you were like really good at it, you know, or it gets over explained, over explained. Yeah. There's always that big monologue. What at you the didn't, end. yo, the monologue, <laughs> but what you didn't count on was <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. So anyway, maybe we'll do Amsterdam if the reviews are in, but we will find something next October and we'll be back. So until then, and we would have got away with it too. <laughs> what? <laughs> And you would have got away with it too, yes. John. Except Tim's still on the murder mystery bench. Yeah, sorry, my brain's my brain is uh, just stuck on that. I love it. Love but you, the Tim. one thing you You're didn't count on, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey. So keep in the, the faith, end, my friends, John. we will see you next time.